Welcome to the Pimp Your Brilliance podcast with Monique Malcolm, a show about creative people leveraging their brilliance to create their own opportunities. I aim to show you what's really possible when you shut down the chorus of fear and lean into your genius zone. You can learn more about this show and subscribe for updates by visiting keepchasingthestars.com backslash podcast. Hey, Brilliant Squad. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pimp Your Brilliance. If this is your first time here, welcome. I'm your host, Monique Malcolm. The Pimp Your Brilliance podcast is a show for creative people who want to learn to create their own opportunities and make money by leveraging their ideas, talents, and skills. Basically, what I call Pimping Your Brilliance. And I do that here every single week with inspiring interviews from amazing people with very diverse backgrounds and really cool and creative businesses and brands. And then I also do solo shows where I share bits and pieces of my own strategy, things that are happening in my business, what I'm working on. And pretty soon, I want to add an element to the show that I'm going to call Experiments in Creative Entrepreneurship, but I'm, I'm working on the first experiment now. But sit tight, because I'm going to have some things to report to you guys pretty soon. But for the most part, this is a show for you. I want to help as many people as possible turn their ideas into income and really go after the goals and things that they desire for their lives. Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to let you guys know about a new resource that I've created called the Find Your Genius Zone Guide. It's designed to help you figure out what skills or talents that you can actually monetize. So if you're someone who is unsure about what you're expert enough to teach someone, or you don't know what you should even be focusing on, this guide is for you. I've created this resource as a way to help you pinpoint where your natural talents lie, who your ideal client is, and what your minimum viable product should be. And we're doing this through some exercises, a couple of questions and things for you to fill out. So if this sounds like you, something that you need, then you just need to text BRILLIANCE to the phone number 345-345. Again, to receive a copy, text the word BRILLIANCE to 345-345. All right, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about today's episode. I have another money expert on the show today, and I'm really geeking out with talking to badass women about money, particularly women who are owning money or helping other people or specifically helping other women own their money stories, heal from money traumas, do more with their money. I'm really, really inspired every time I have a conversation with a woman who is really killing it and doing things with their money and really just kind of owning and standing in their worth and their value. Because let's face it, money is a very loaded topic. It's uncomfortable for most of us to talk about money. We don't want to share numbers. We don't want to talk about how much we're making. There's a lot of shame around money and really bad feelings. And so every time I get a chance to speak with someone was a money expert and is helping other people get to the next level, change their mindset, heal and change their story. I am really, really impressed. And my conversation with Barry is no different. So let's talk about Barry Tesler. Barry Tesler, today's guest, she is a financial therapist, a mentor coach, a mompreneur, and the founder of The Art and Money, which is also a book and a year-long program. She has guided thousands of people to new, empowered, and refreshingly honest relationships with money through her nurturing, 
body center approach. And she does this year-long money school with hundreds of people every year, at least 500 plus people around the world. And she integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And so her story is really incredible. Um, She has a really great story about how she started and just this journey she took to get to this place of doing her own money healing and how she started to use her body and how she felt to guide some of her money decisions. We also talk about how money is never really about the money, which is a phrase that I saw over and over again on her website when I was researching her. So I asked her what she meant by that. And then my favorite part of the conversation is where we talked about understanding your value and pricing accordingly, because I shared with her, this is something that I still struggle with personally. It's something that I discuss all the time with clients. And so I wanted to get her insight and feedback about value-based pricing and what she thought. And she confirmed for me that it's a common issue. It's not just me. It's not just my clients. A lot of people struggle with this. And she gave some interesting insights there. So this was a really, really good conversation. So if you're ready, grab a pen and a notebook and let's dive in. Hi, Barry. Welcome to the show. Hi, Monique. Thank you for having me. I'm pretty excited to have you. I've heard a lot about you. We have a mutual connection um, through Ali, who helps us with our businesses. And she's told me a lot about you ahead of time. And so I'm really, really excited to have this conversation with you, um, kind of balancing a conversation about money and creative entrepreneurship, which are topics that I love to cover over on the show. And they're topics that I know my audience loves to hear about because a lot of them are aspiring creatives. Uh, we all have money things that we're working through. And so I think that this is going to be a really great conversation. Mm, wonderful. I'm looking forward to it as well. And I've also asked Allie about you. And so she's told me lots of things about you too. <laughs> Yay. All right. So we already have a connection. All right, so let's let's start at the top because you've been doing this work for many years and I know that there has to be like some amazing story, a backstory or how you got to this place. So let's start there. Give us a bit of your backstory. How did this whole thing, um, the art of money and all the things you do kind of come about? Sure. So as a kid, I wanted to be either of two things and then it moved into, I added a third. So I either wanted to be a solid gold dancer when I grew up. So I don't know if you know what that is. I'm a bit older. Okay. So that was my number one. My number two was a businesswoman. And I wrote my seventh grade report on being a businesswoman, even though I had no idea what kind of businesswoman I wanted to be. But my father was an entrepreneur and I wanted to be like him and not like him. And so that's what I was grappling with at that age. And then, so those are my two options, solical dancer, businesswoman. And then at the age of 16, I asked my parents if I could go see a therapist. I wanted to understand myself better and on deeper levels. And I started going to therapy. And so I added psychotherapist into the mix. But, you know, there were a lot of ups and downs all around. And I even did my undergrad where I studied history, women's studies, and still had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up and didn't know how to put those three different parts of myself together. And then I went to live in Israel for a year after college. 
And it all came to me. I was jogging on a kibbutz. And one day I thought I made up dance movement therapy. I thought I made up an entire field because I realized I had grown up dancing my whole life. And I loved the field of psychotherapy and psychology. And I was going to put them two together and dance therapy. You know, I really thought I made up a whole field. Went to Jerusalem soon after that, learned I didn't make up anything, that there were somatic psychology master's programs, dance movement therapy, and I knew that was for me. So in my 20s, I spent almost a decade training to be a somatic therapist, and I just knew that I needed to do that work. I needed to learn emotional intelligence. I needed to learn emotional literacy tools. I feel they saved me, got me through my 20s. I don't know if I would have without that. And I had to do my own work. I had a lot of healing to do, trauma, like we all have. Um, I know it's, you know, there's a large spectrum of how that shows up for each of us, but I had to do my own work. And so I did that when I was training to become a therapist. And I really thought my topics as a therapist, I knew I wanted to work with couples at some point. I thought my topics would be sexuality, sensuality, intimacy, uh, food, body. And then I also, from the age of 20 to 25, lost four of the closest men to me in my life. I lost a lover, um, a beloved grandfather, and two uncles um, to AIDS. And so I was dealing with my own grief And I thought that one of my big topics was also going to be bereavement and helping other people through grief and death. And so those were my those were my topics. There's nothing about money in there. And then at the age of 28, my school loan came due. And that was my freak out moment of, oh, my God, how am I going to pay this back? I'm making eleven dollars an hour you know, with a master's degree as a social worker. And I don't know how to create a livelihood doing the work that I love. And I only saw private practice or continuing as a social worker in the mental health field as options. And I just finally realized in that moment that money was completely left out of my education. Um, In graduate school, training to become a therapist, it was left out. It was left out of college, like for many of us, and high school. And growing up, I received pieces but not the whole, not the whole, you know, financial education. And so it was one of those moments where I'm either going to go screaming, running away, travel the world, never pay back my student loan, or, you know, I considered it. And then I thought, I'm going to face this like I do every other big, scary topic in my life. I'm going to face it head on. And I started originally doing learning bookkeeping, you know, and I can say more about that, but how to transition bookkeeping business for other therapists and coaches and artists. And they just threw their bookkeeping at me. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. And they had no idea I had a master's in psychology. And I always say I learned more about them and more about people's patterns around money than maybe even doing, you know, uh, therapy sessions with them. I learned more about spending patterns and income patterns and saving and so on. And then eventually, this is 18 years ago to get more current, It was time to integrate my past training as a psychotherapist and all that deep work and all those tools and practices with the financial literacy and financial education I had been teaching myself and learning and all of the language of money and systems of money and bookkeeping. And I was surprisingly falling in love with this whole area of life. It really surprised me as a dancer, creative psychology gal and, you know, put it all together. And my very first 
groups when I was teaching my methodology, which is now the art of money. I used to teach it in tiny little groups of 10 people over and over and over live in my living room that eventually years later became 20, then 50. And I used to teach it in six week classes. I can't even believe that. And now I teach my work in a year long program with over 500 students per year all over the world. Wow. I mean, that is, there's so many parts to your story. And I think the thing that you said, like all of these, how you merged all of these pieces into this overall brand and your overall mythology, I think one, that is like the epitome of pimping your brilliance. That's why I always tell people like taking your skills, your ideas, your passions, the things that you love and that you're good at and that make you happy and monetizing it in some way. And a lot of people, I don't say a lot of people, but I think that so there is a certain amount of shame attached to making money off of helping people. But the work that you do, I mean, you've grown, like you said, from 10 people in your living room to 500 people around the world. So the, clearly there's tremendous value in what you do. And I just think that that is, that's a really, really um, amazing story, backstory to your brand. So let me ask you a question. Um, with the work that you do around money, because I heard you mention the word mythology, do you subscribe to a particular philosophy about money? I don't. You know, when I was first realizing I did not receive a financial education and it was time for me to learn, I went to all the traditional money books and there was some, all the same stuff in there. You know, it was here's how you manage your money, here's how you save, here's how you pay down debt, here's how you invest. And there's some good parts to that. But overall, um, it was a lot of white men who wrote those books and their approach was a very tough love. And I felt shaming and judgmental and critical. And that was not going to work for me at all. And I did not want to have a relationship with money. I, I fought it. And, you know, and so, but I realized early on, if I was going to step in and have my own healthy, eventually healthy relationship to money and conscious relationship to money and a creative one and a savvy one, I had to bring all the tools and practices that I was living in my life. And, you know, the graduate school I went to in Boulder, Colorado, integrated Eastern and Western philosophies. It was a Buddhist based school. I'm not Buddhist, although I'm surrounded by a lot of Buddhists. Um, my lineage heritage is, is Jewish. Um, and my whole family, uh, escaped, Ukraine and Russia and that whole area. Um, so I just knew I needed to bring all of these, bringing mindfulness into daily living practices into my relationship to money. And I also, you know, was doing so much practice around creating sacredness in other areas. And at the time, I thought money was so separate. I thought money was separate from everything else. And then at some point, I realized it's not separate. Um, and I could bring all the practices that I was, you know, um, the mindfulness, the um, intuition, the creativity, the deeper meaning. So when I first started creating a methodology, oh, and the somatic tools, so all of the somatic tools, that was first stop for me. It was, what's the very first tool you give when I'm you know, teaching people about money? And it's do a body check-in. And it's check-in with your body during all the daily money interactions, whether that's going to look at your numbers online, whether that's going to have a money conversation with your spouse or your kids or your parents, or you're going to tell a client your fees. And 
And so I brought all of my training as a somatic therapist into my money methodology. And then the methodology was created based on what I needed, what was missing in my life. And then I just started in those original 10 person small groups and see six week, you know, in six weeks, I showed up with my little handouts. And, you know, I, I mean, to back up for I'll, I'll tell a short story is that Right around that time, I had a mentor who said to me, it was time for you to teach your work. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't have a body of work and, and I don't like to talk in front of people. You know, I like to work with one person or a couple. And, you know, she had said she was going to get a group of 20 or 30 people. And I just was, you know, flipping out. But what I knew to do was that I, I've always gone to nature and I grew up in Chicago, but at 17, I saw the mountains. And when I saw them, that changed my life. I knew I needed to live in them. So as soon as I moved to Boulder, Colorado, daily walks in nature has been one of my practices. And I know that I can go out into nature and talk to the trees and talk to who I talk to out there. And I ask questions and I get answers and I, um, I vision out there. There's a lot that happens in those walks in nature. And so when my mentor said to me, Barry, it's time for you to teach your methodology, which I didn't even have, it did not exist. I went on one of my walks and I went out there and I said, what am I supposed to bring back to my community? I, you know, see people from all different economic backgrounds, all different lineage, um, and race backgrounds and all different income levels right now. And we all have strengths around money. We all have challenges around money. Most of us have shame. Again, no matter what background we come from, um, or anger or sadness or, you know, all the same emotions that come up in other areas of life come up here too. But what I was saying is no matter what background, economic background you came from, we all had strengths and challenges. And so I went out in the woods and just said, what am I supposed to bring back to my community? And what are the concepts? And what's of a framework? And I just asked this and I came home and I was living in literally a 350 square foot cabin with my husband in California at the time. And he threw up some white paper and we just mapped out the three phases, which are the same three phases today. I call them different names back then. It was financial therapy, values-based bookkeeping and life vision planning. And today it is money healing, money practices, and money maps. And I used to call my work conscious bookkeeping. And then eight years ago, when I moved into the year-long program, we moved into the art of money. So I've, you know, studied with so many somatic teachers. I've studied with so many dance teachers. Um, and then the graduate program in psychology, we studied many people, but I don't follow one form of psychology or one form of philosophy or one spiritual path. It's a integration of everything that I learned um, in my own way. And then it was taught in those small groups. And right away, I could see, you know, even in the first few groups, I realized, oh, wow, I left out forgiveness. And we need to do a piece on forgiveness, because a lot of people were getting stuck in it, a past part of themselves where they made a mistake, and they still, they couldn't move forward, and they could not stop thinking about it. And so, you know, I, by doing these in small little groups, I got to see what was working, what was not. Um, the methodology was matured and created over and over by teaching it live and then 
doing it better and better each time. And now we're 18 years later. Did that answer your question? <laughs> yes, it did. Um, and it made me, it made me think about something else that I, some, a sentence that I've seen on your website over and over again that I, I want to know more about or like, what do you mean by this? Which is money is never just about the money. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. It's, is about the money and it's not about the money. It is about the money because most of us did not receive, most of us did not receive a financial education in grade school and up in small increments. Can you imagine? It would be a whole different world, right? And things are changing. And there's now financial literacy happening in high schools. And my community is 25 to 75 years old. And so I teach a lot of the parents and or grandparents, and they then teach their kids, even their adult children, or they teach their young 20 or teenagers. And I have a 10 year old and We've been doing our best to teach him, you know, in age appropriate increments. So it's about money because there are so many missing missing pieces to our financial education and our emotional education, as I've already mentioned. And so it's important for us to learn the language of money, to learn how to use and navigate a bookkeeping system, to learn how to review our numbers and learn savings and earning and investments and all of that, right? So it is about the money. Where it's not about the money is that it's all about these deeper themes that I've seen for the last 18 years. And the deeper themes are some of them, let's see, you know, power, safety, um, value. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay. Value. Which one, which one should we go into? Value. Value. I, I feel, I know personally, that's one of the things, one of the issues as a creative entrepreneur that I'm continuously trying, I guess, struggling against to a degree because of, you know, like you said, past money chains, but then also wanting to represent my work in a way that feels like a good energy exchange and like a good value exchange. So there's like there, I feel personally, there's a lot of questioning. And when I speak with other people or like clients that I'm coaching, there's a lot of conversation about like the value of this and like, should we be charging this and how do we communicate that? So I think that there's a, for creatives, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done around value and feeling comfortable with charging like a value that is going to um, elevate you and not just keep you on the cycle of having a booked out calendar, but you are still struggling, if that makes sense. It does. So, you know, this is this is a thread that came up from day one that took me a while to see because I was immersed in my own worth and value journey and exploration. I see it with every creative entrepreneur. I see it with everyone who starts a business. We can't get, I can't, we can't get away from it, you know? And there's, there is a lot of confusion around what is our worth and what is our value? And is it based on the numbers in our bank account? And my first answer is no, um, it's not. It's we're born a unique human. There's our worth and our value right there, right? And in the world that we live in, how do we exchange? We exchange through money. Um, and that's what puts a roof over our head. That's where we get our food and so on. And so it's way more complicated and complex than that. And so one of my favorite things is how do you cultivate value, your own value? And I have so many practices around this. Um, and I'll just go back for a second. I mean, this was 
in my 20s, I was grappling with as a therapist, you're not supposed to want, you're not supposed to be talking about money, which is just crazy. You're not supposed to want money, strive for money. You're not, you know, and meanwhile, we're doing really deep work with people. And even when I was as a social worker making $11, I clearly could not get a massage. There was no level of self-care, which is crazy, right? So it was a journey of how do you price things? What's a business model? And I'll just say at the beginning of any business, we're in it. We're, we're in that three to five year period where it takes a while before we hit sustainability with cash flow. And that's just across the board. I don't know anyone. I mean, some people get to it earlier, you know, but for me, it was three and a half at the three and a half year mark. And that's when I shifted my business model. And so there's so much around how do we cultivate value internally and externally and internally is everything about learning how to say no better, getting better with boundaries. And at the beginning, we suck at all of that. And that's, you know, that, you know, I said yes to every single networking date and coffee date you know, imaginable. And now, no, no, thank you. You know, um, but I did that for years and that's how you're growing your business and that's how you're growing your exposure and visibility. And at some point, um, you know, for me having a child at the age of 40 and have and I was working 40, 50 hours because I loved it, you know, and I had a business partner and I had a whole team. And when he came, we had a big complication. And so I had to go. I went into a recovery And so I chose, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're always taught to earn more, save more, give more every year. And that's not always real. Um, And those are wonderful years, but we're also going to have transition years and years where we may have to simplify and where we choose our health or our family. And so when my son came and I needed to recover and I wanted to be home with him. Um, I chose to let go of my entire team. Now we had hit sustainability. I was able to pay myself monthly. It was wonderful. But the right choice, the right path for me was to let go of my team at that time where other women entrepreneurs, I was saying they were continuing on with their teams after they had their babies. And I knew that wasn't right for me. I let go of everyone and I did get online. And then I had to ask myself questions like, what can I do um, that I love to do the most that makes the most money at this time that I can do while I'm crazily sleep deprived from home and do somewhat well? You know, and I wound up realizing that my group programs at the time, I think they were 40 people, you know, a teleclass of 40 people. That's what I could do. So I'm kind of going all over the place, but let me come back. So there's the internal parts of how do you cultivate value around learning how to say no better about boundaries. There's more that I'm not thinking of understanding enoughness. Um, I've written whole pieces about the internal work, but the external work is about pricing and about business models. And this takes, you know, uh, I've had five different business models over the last 18 years. Some I've loved, some were hard, (laughs) really hard. Um, Some felt more like a push. It was just the phase of life I was in. Some have felt more easeful. Um, And this is where it really gets into, I'll just talk about pricing for a second. I have a whole piece on pricing and it's everything. I have seven different questions to ask. The first one is, yes, do a body check-in you know, see what feels right, but don't stop there. You know, don't end there with like, what feels right, you know, inside my body. That's one piece of it. It's also, um, you know, what's the field you're in and do take a look at other people's pricing just to see, 
not you don't have to compare you don't have to be like them but just to see what's happening out there in the field right and then who do you want to work with do you want to work with all wealthy folks do you want to work with more middle class folks do you want to work with more low the lower income community who do you want to work with and then what phase of life are you in and what are your personal numbers and that's where i do a whole money mapping thing that some people call a budget that i can talk about more but I have a series of questions to ask about pricing, but what this really comes down to is what's the right business model for you at this time that integrates money, time, energy, health, and family. Those are my five. That's the equation that I've been trying to find the right balance of, you know, and have had, as I said, five different business models. And I'll just give a couple of examples and then we'll complete is um, you know, the one example I gave was, well, I didn't even say, so at year three and a half, about three, at three year mark, I felt I was, um, a one woman show. I was doing bookkeeping training. I was training people on QuickBooks. I was doing some couples financial therapy. I was teaching my small groups of 10 people. I was doing all of that. And I was living in an apple orchard in California. And I felt like Someone was eating all the apples off my tree. It felt like I was all my time and energy was going into it. I loved my work, but I wasn't able to really take. There wasn't enough profit. There wasn't enough paying myself. You know, during that time, I was at a cusp. I felt like I got to get over this. I'm right there. And it was a lot of push. And then at some moment, I decided I'm going to create a board of directors. I was a sole proprietor, but I just needed support. And I was trying to come up with some wild creative ideas. And I asked women in the community that were older than me who had been in business to support me once a month for six months. And they said yes. And in that time period, also women were coming to me saying, hey, I want to be on your team. I'm in the accounting world and on the side I'm doing a yoga training or I'm putting myself through a master's in psychology by doing bookkeeping. And there are all these women saying, I want to be in your team. And I looked around going, I don't have a team. You know, what are you talking about? And then I realized, oh, they want me to create a team. And that's when I created my first team of bookkeeping trainers and financial coaches under my umbrella. And I would go give the free inspiring talks on what the methodology was. And then I would say, go work with my bookkeeping trainer. She'll train you on how to use QuickBooks or go work with my financial coach. She'll sit down with you and find out what phase of life you're in, what your priorities are, what your values and dreams are and what your numbers are. And she'll help you create a budget, a money map. And so that was the first time that I you know, went to a next business model. And then the next four years, we were able to pay ourselves um, a great amount each month, we hit a sustainable place, right? So that was the next phase of a business model. But then the other, you know, another juncture was when I told you when I had my son, that was a, we were in a great place and I needed to downsize and I needed to simplify. And yes, income got decreased for a period of time. And I had to remind myself I'm in a transition phase and we had to get tighter with things you know, for a while, but we knew it was just for a certain phase until I could sleep again, until my son was sleeping, right? And then one more example of a business model shift and decisions was my son was sleeping and I'd created a home study program and I was doing three month group coaching programs now. And I felt like I was struggling to get 50 people in my class at that time, struggling. And it was a challenging year. I felt like I was pushing I was tired. My husband started his online program. We were going nuts. 
I was opening my program to register. He was, then I would finish. Then he was opening his, it was like launch hell, you know, and we're like, something needs to shift. And so I said, okay, what new questions can I ask to shift into a new business model or shift into a new phase? And I just started throwing out all sorts of questions. Like, can the energy be different than this push, 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 masculine, intense? Could it be more easeful, more feminine, more just could, could it feel different? You know, um, everyone's always saying in our world, charge more, always charge more. And I had the idea to lower my group program pricing and I lowered it monthly. So instead of like a 600 program for three months, I decided to charge $88 a month. And while over the year it was a little bit more monthly, it was less and they got so much more when I, and so I decided I, I, I decided I want to move into a year long program. I had matured. The material had matured. I was just stepping into my 44th year and I decreased the price compared to what it was for that three month program. And after struggling to get 50 students in a three month group project group coaching program, we opened up our very first year program, first one year program um, with $88 a month, but a year long commitment. And we, we got 320 students in the first year. So it was a matter of like, okay, I need to step into a next business model. This one's not working. It was working for a while. And I think business models have, um, a certain lifeline. And then all of a sudden life changes, priorities change, health change, family, right? Things happen. And all of a sudden you need to adjust and then I went back to, you know, evaluating what's most important right now. How can I be as generous as possible with my content? That was another thing I was saying at that time. Like this three-month thing is not fulfilling for me or the students. They need more time. I need to be able to give everything. I need to price it well so that more students come in. And anyway, that was that was a business model shift that happened seven years ago, and I love it. And I haven't. And it's been the best for me personally as a teacher and for my health, and it's the most lucrative. So to come back to value, it's a lifelong journey of fine tuning, adjusting. I can remember when I was like crying on the floor going, I don't know my value. I don't know who I am. I don't know what my skill set is. Oh, that's the other thing about the internal work is just really clarifying who you are and who you're not and what you're good at and what you suck at, all the things that you teach, you know, is really knowing that well. And then the external work is really working on what phase of life are you in and your own equation of time, money, energy, family, and health, and coming up with a business model. And you never know, it's all an experiment, right? And you put it out there. And yes, it helps to be in business for so many years. And, but it's always fine tuning. Um, but this is, my favorite business model where I feel I can give the most value at a price point that serves the most amount of people that I've ever been able to serve. And so check mark, check mark, check mark on value and worth and <laughs> but long journey of fine tuning and will be forever. I like that. Um, so you well, you, I had a question I was going to ask, but you kind of touched on it because you talked about like figuring out your 
your um, value and all of these things. So are there any other challenges that you feel have like really defined your business over the year? Um, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, the, the one story that's coming to me, I mean, in general, I'll say, you know, I didn't start my business until I was 32. And so it took me until that age to realize I really suck at working for other people. I really do. Like everyone who's an entrepreneur, mostly, right? And I need to do my own thing. And even though I was raised by an entrepreneur, um, his style was a style where I learned how not to do things or I wanted to kind of be the opposite of my father or just do, you know, he was, he's very intense and, and very loving. And so I just learned a lot about what I wouldn't do. And I, I needed to struggle against him to find my own way. Um, and there was so much to learn. And I, you know, grew up, I wasn't good at math. And so I equated if I'm not good at math, I can't learn a bookkeeping system. If I'm not good at math, I won't be good at money. That was a lot of, you know, and um, sales and marketing and bookkeeping were all like terrible words for me, you know, training as a therapist, like that was, you know, so to learn about business, but at some point it became so fun and creative. But so those were, you know, those are challenge overall challenges. Um, and, but I kept hanging in there, you know, Oh, and you have to be determined. Like you just have to be resilient and determined. And even at the beginning, you know, those moments of puddle on the floor, crying, questioning your life, your worth, all of it, you, you know, have those moments and then get up and go on your walk or whatever you do, you know, and keep going. But here's one story that really took me down. And mm -hmm. it was about seven, eight years into my business. And I had always had this sense that this one publishing company would call me. This was before I always knew I wanted to do a book, but that came after. Okay. And so this is when there was still audio recordings. I can't even remember what they were called, but just classes on audio. Okay. So I always knew this publishing house would call me. I had a sense, I had this intuition. They finally did. And they said, we want to do an 11 CD set with you. And I said, great. And I was, I remember I was living in California at the time. They flew me out. I stayed in a fancy hotel. I remember, you know, it, I remember the hotel. I remember the clothes I was wearing. I was very healthy um, at like very healthy at that time. If you remember your clothes, like that's good and bad. Like it's like, what are you really paying attention to? You know, but I remember. And so I got into the studio and I got in there. And after a few hours, I just went blank totally blank. And I, we kept trying to record and blank. And after a day, we decided to end the contract. And I was devastated. And I talk about questioning my value and worth. I was questioning so much. I'm like, I'm done. I suck so much that I'm done with my work. I have nothing to teach. I have nothing to say. And I remember getting on the phone with my mom and she said, remember that movie with Loretta Lynn where Loretta Lynn could not sing and in front of a big crowd, they had to turn her around and place her children in front of her and she would sing in front of her children and that's how she could perform. And I was like, mom, you're brilliant. I didn't have my students in the room 
I was talking to myself (laughs) and had to teach for hours and hours and hours my work. That's not how I teach. I could do that for a few hours, but I'm not a theorist. I'm not a philosopher. I have lots of stories and tools and practices, but I love working live with my community. And it was such an epiphany. I was like, mom, you're brilliant, you know, but it took me a while to get over that. And I really was, I question everything. Right. And so what also happened in that time was I'm going to stop my work. I'm going to, you know, and so two things happened soon after that is that, um, that whole year I had, it was my 38th year and I woke up in my 38th year after 38 years of not wanting to have children. And I woke up in my 38th year and just changed my mind and just realized that the only next step on my path was to have a child. I was like, what, what is going on? You know, I kept drop. And so I kept, I was with my husband for seven years. I kept dropping seeds saying, I want to have a child. He wasn't picking them up. (laughs) He wasn't even like noticing them. And so this was at the end of that year. And this whole, it felt like a failure. It felt like I walked into that studio and I did not know how to advocate for myself. I did not know how to give voice to who I am and who I'm not. I did not know how to step into that studio and say, I need 10 students. I need some students here that I'm teaching live. I did not know that about myself at that time. That failure, that so-called failure, taught me that I was off track and that I didn't know how to stand up for my and give voice, you know, to my value and who I am and who I'm not. And so much was learned in that process. But two things happened. One is that um, me and my husband did some therapy around choosing to have a child. And he did some deep work around his own father and that he's not his father. He would be a different kind of father. And we came to a yes in our final therapy session and we went home (laughs) and we conceived our son that evening. And that was literally within eight weeks of this failure. So within eight weeks of this huge failure where I felt awful, um, I got pregnant. And, you know, I say in any big journey, um, you have beautiful parts and you have challenging parts. And the beautiful part was conceiving quickly and easily. And the challenging part was the challenge in our labor and then the big recovery I had. But to complete this story was that um, um, I still felt terrible about that recording experience and and felt like I need to what was the word? I need to have a triumph here. I need to have a success that completes the story. And so I decided that I was going to record my own 11 CD set. And I went to start to record it in my home by myself. And then I was going to do the same thing again. I was just going to talk to myself. And I was in the middle of teaching. I told the community this was my final telecourse because I was going to move into that home study program after, or I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I realized I And because I'd said it was my last one, I got 60 students, you know, and then all of a sudden I realized, here's my students, here's my community. And I asked all of them if they would give me the honor of recording it and sharing it as my home study program. And that's how I wound up recording my 11 CDs, uh, my 11 CD course, which became a home study. And I was able to take that so-called failure and really learn from it and really get like, I can't be everything. 
okay, you know, I, but, and, and who really am I and how do I thrive and how do I not? And then create, set yourself up so that you thrive. And so that's my little story of (laughs) how that, how a big failure at the time where I really was like, I'm done with my work turned into being a mother. And then a few years later turned into creating my own version um, of recording a course that was really fulfilling and successful. I love it, which I want really quickly because we're kind of getting towards the end, but I would really love to know, like, if you could sum up your journey in like one big lesson, like, what do you feel like is that big lesson that has gotten you to this point? One big lesson. Um, Oh my, in this moment, well, two really quick and they're one line. So listen to your body, please listen to your body, learn how to do that and really learn who you are and who you're not. All right. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. So this is my favorite part of the show because I think this is where people get like the most excited because we're going to leave them with something that they can do, some tips that they can uh, apply right away. So for you, this is Pimp Your Bro- the Pimp Your Brilliance Action Challenge. So I would love if you would share three tips or three quick ways that people can start to, um, I guess, face their money and get on like the right track. Okay. Three money tips. So number one is the body check-in. So please start practicing the body check-in, which is just stopping and pausing in the middle of the day, checking in with your body on a physical level, sensation level, emotional level, breathing level, and just let yourself be curious You don't need to change anything. Just let yourself notice what's going on in there. And yes, the the whole spectrum of emotion from, you know, shame to anger to sadness to guilt to um, uh, checking out to excitement, hope um, and everywhere in between will come up. Right. And and for me, this body check in is a practice because one, it helps you bring awareness to what's happening in the moment. Um, it eventually leads to a deeper understanding and it's helping you start to explore what are your money stories? What are your money patterns? What are your money beliefs, mindsets, all of it? And this simple little body check-in is pretty profound when you actually practice it over and over and all the daily money interactions that you have. So start to practice that. There's no perfect here. Just start to experiment and explore and see what you learn. Okay. That's number one. Number two is a bit more practical. It's please learn a bookkeeping system. If you don't have one, you know, half the people that come to me don't have a bookkeeping system, don't know their numbers. They're terrified to look. I used to be too. So I know. And there's two options here. Some people can just in one evening train themselves on Mint or YNAB, Y-N-A-B. You know, my husband did that. Um, that wasn't my situation. I needed someone to hold my hand. I needed a bookkeeping trainer. We needed crying breaks and dark chocolate breaks. And that's how I learned over six months to a year Um, how to navigate a bookkeeping system and eventually learn my numbers, which has taught me so much about business, accounting, entrepreneurship, and so on. Um, So please do that. And I would say number three, should I talk about values or should I renaming values or should I talk about a financial support team? Which one? Which one? Renaming values. 
Okay, great. Okay, so this is a way to make your relationship to money more meaningful, um, more creative, more fun, any or all of those, all right? And it's something I started, it's a tool I brought in day one um, because I started hearing about we want to live our life in alignment with our values. We want to earn our money in alignment with our values. We want to spend our money in alignment with our values. We want to invest our money in alignment with our values. Um, and how do we do that? And I came up with this really concrete way of just renaming your bookkeeping categories because a lot of us feel disconnected with those numbers or with bookkeeping. We're like, Oh my God, it's so boring and dry and awful, you know, but if it's you, it's your life, it's your energy. It's what's happening, you know, your life, your lifestyle, what's going on with you. It's right there in the bookkeeping. So I want you to know that and feel that. So renaming categories can be as simple as renaming rent or mortgage. Uh, You can't go that much deeper, but you could call it home or sanctuary or love shack. You know, I had a financial planner, I, a group of 100 financial planners in suits. And I said, give me some new names for rent or mortgage. And a woman who was married for the second time, recent, newly married for the second time, stood up and said, love shack. And I loved it, you know. So that that makes things just a little more fun. But imagine, um, you know, someone once renamed a category to creativity. She didn't even have that in her expense categories. And she just realized she wanted to live a more creative life. And so she started tracking her numbers for the very first time. And at the end of the month, she was looking at her income and expense reports and seeing zero after creativity. So she was like, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm not living my creative life. And so she decided to add some subcategories, which were theater classes and dance classes. And then, you know, after doing that, I think for six months and seeing zero, that's when she added the subcategories and said, this is it. I I have to live more creativity. And she started signing up for the theater classes. And, you know, a year later, I heard about Miss Saigon and Vagina Monologues. And she was doing theater and in these plays that she had just dreamt about. And there was some money being spent in that direction. You know, not it doesn't. Like some things like hiking don't cost anything, you know, except the backpack or shoes or, you know, so not everything has a dollar value or an amount to it. But for her being able to look at her income and expense reports and seeing zero next to creativity and then finally realizing I'm saying this is so important to me and I'm not living it. And then to go ahead and actually start living her life in a different way, you know, just by looking at her bookkeeping um, is amazing, right? So, and I'll give one more example. Um, We can rename debts as well. Instead of that damn debt, which a lot of us do, or that money leak or that time in our lives, you know, we all have a story. And usually it's leaving the corporate world to start our own businesses. It's having baby number one or baby number two, having a health crisis, right? This is all real, real stuff. And so instead of that damn debt, why don't we honor it and say what it really was, you know, uh, my health journey or my trip to Italy that changed my life forever or um, a man who was an accountant who thought this was kind of silly, this renaming at first, you know, but he had a lot of him and his wife had a lot of medical debt because she had cancer and she survived cancer. And so they had more years together. And so he renamed that debt to something about like living my life or having more time with my wife. And he said that little renaming thing that you do, Barry, 
was life-changing, like that little, little thing, you know? So what's the big deal, a name? Um, but when you, you know, you make a list of your expense categories or income or debts and you make a list of your values and you see how you can add your values in there or you just choose to rename some of the existing categories so they represent your values more, it just makes the whole thing come alive. And, you know, for some of you, that's going to be one. It's a wonderful way to sit down at your bookkeeping system to see your values in there and to rename things and have fun with that. I I really, really love that. Now, I was over here thinking about things like, okay, so I have some categories to change. (laughs) I love that a lot. Okay. So um, I always like to ask, uh, what's something that you read currently? Doesn't necessarily have to be a business book that we should know about. Um, Okay. So I don't read business books and I don't read money books. No, that's fine. It doesn't have to no, be either no, of those. No, I know, but I'm just telling you that. I read a lot. I read memoirs and I read fiction like crazy. Those are my favorites. I don't so like that's to read business read. books. Um, it, I, I, that's, I, I don't either. You know, I read them all. I read some when I was younger. Um, oh, my God. Um, nothing's coming to me. Nothing? Okay. Well, do you want to tell us about your book? Sure. Sure. And then I'm going to feel so bad because I read, I like, I binge on shows. Oh, well, me, me too. <laughs> Killing Eve. That's my favorite. Do you know Killing Eve? BBC? Yes. So good. So good. So good. Okay. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. I had okay. a guest previously who was like, can I just tell you shows that I've watched? I was like, that's fine. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, with books it's so interesting over the years like there was a there was a few years where all I was reading was holocaust um stories about my Jewish lineage and then for a while um for two years I was only reading books of women of color and this year I'm just kind of going to the New York Times bestseller list because I've been traveling more at the airports and just picking those memoirs and novels so they're not really standing out. So that's that. But my show is Killing Eve. Killing Eve. Okay. That okay. is my Eve. I, I mean, there's others, you know, but the women characters. Oh, my God. That's really good. Okay. Okay. All right. And then finally, if listeners want to get in touch with you, where can they find you online? Okay, great. So you can find me at barrytesler.com, B-A-R-I-T-E-S-S-L-E-R.com. I have a great blog. We put out new articles every two weeks. I have a podcast. I have my Art of Money book that was published three years ago. We're going to hit our three-year anniversary. And I have my year-long program, which is my main signature program. Oh, and social media. Social media. Okay. And then um, what's the name of your podcast? The Art of Money. Okay. The Art of Money across the board. (laughs) Okay. Well, Thank you so much, Barry, for being on the show. I really, really appreciate you. And you really gave me a lot of things to think about. And I think even the the listeners will have a lot of takeaways to sit with after they listen to this. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) All right, you guys. Until next week, go out there and pimp your brilliance.